At Metro, the best deal in wireless is on. Switch to Metro and get one full Amazon Prime membership included every month. Plus, get two free phones from top brands like Samsung and LG with huge HD screens. All with two lines for just 90 bucks. That's the best deal in wireless, only at Metro. Plus sales tax and activation fee. Requires port of eligible number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Limit four per account or household. Offer subject to change. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Amazon Prime has a $12.99 per month value. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions. Hey everybody, welcome to episode two of Midwest Mind Melt. I'm your host, Jason. And I'm Josh. And today our topic is going to be a little bit different, but I feel like it's going to be a much better topic and we're going to have a lot more... To share with you guys on this topic. I agree. So, Josh, what do you say we get into it? I say we get right into it, Jason. All right. So, when you think of the epidemic in the United States, what the, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Epidemic that comes to my mind is uh, drugs. Exactly. And a lot of people would, would like to argue that the biggest epidemic in the U.S. at this point is obesity. <laughs> and Of course they would. Well, it, if you look at the growing trend of fitness addicts and fitness people, I feel like obesity is not going to be something we're going to be seeing a lot of in the near future. It's still going to exist, yes, but it's not going to be as big of a problem as it used to be. And we'll get into that on another on another episode, but going back to the drug thing, why do we feel why do you feel that it's the biggest epidemic in the US right now? Well, I mean, <laughs> drugs is obviously a big epidemic because I don't think there's anybody listening or either of us who hasn't been directly affected by whether it be drugs or somebody that we know who has been arrested through drug policy I mean or in school I don't think we've ever been exposed to education that had to do with drugs or you know just statistics in general that have to do with uh, people getting arrested or people overdosing I mean it's just it's a big epidemic and it's very in your face now Let's let's get one thing clear for our listeners. When we're talking drugs, we're not talking about marijuana. We're talking yeah. hard drugs, methamphetamines, cocaine. Uh, the newest one pop uh, that's been really hitting the market, fentanyl, is probably one of the one of the worst ones that's out there right now. But we're not talking about marijuana. Marijuana is not a hard drug to me, and it's we're not even really talking about party drugs. We're not talking about like LSD or mushrooms, or marijuana, or molly, you know, the drugs that people have fun with that, you know, you don't really hear about them causing too many problems. The big one in the news that we obviously hear about is opioids, correct? Yes, and that's probably going to be a good portion of the discussion because uh, most of the epidemic that's caused in in the overdose epidemic is what it's referred to, uh, as I read an article in the Los Angeles Times a couple days ago, is it was referred to by the CDC as the opioid epidemic and the overdose epidemic but a lot of overdose deaths included not just the drug itself but the inclusion of some form of an opioid at the time of uh, overdose now just so we're clear uh, i think we should inform the listeners of what an opioid is so would you care to explain so an opioid is things like uh your prescription painkillers uh Anything from Oxycontin, Oxycodone, uh, Vicodin, anything that you can get prescribed as an opiate for by pretty much any doctor out there. So most of the time, when when they talk about overdoses, they're taught they're referring to taking shooting heroin and taking pills with that, or snorting pills, or 
even uh, melting them down and injecting them as well. So that's why, and it increases the effects of what's already in your body. And I think a big one would be muscle relaxers as well. A lot of people don't, a lot of people fail to realize that your heart is a muscle. So when you take a muscle relaxer or, or even a large amount of muscle relaxers, you, uh, you're affecting your heart without even thinking about it. And so when these, when these, uh, when you take these hard drugs, these opioids and, um, your psycho stimul- stimulants and, and whatnot, you're, you're increasing the damage it's doing to your organs at that point, especially your heart. Mm-hmm. And that's what leads to a lot of cardiac arrests and overdose. So yeah, um, if you didn't catch that, it is, uh, opioids is kind of a wide range of drugs and it's anything from as hard as you can get on the street from heroin to anything that you can be prescribed from the doctor that has to do with, uh, pain relief um, that's above an aspirin or an acetaminophen or anything like that. And uh, I think the, and the other important thing is that uh, opioids has been a part of human history since ancient times. Um, a lot of it comes from the poppy seed, which you cannot make heroin without um, having the poppy plant around. And uh, a lighter form of heroin that was around for a long time was opium. Mm-hmm. And that's been a huge problem in uh uh, Asian countries for many centuries and <laughs> there's also that that I don't know if it's even true but they say that dodgeball was created because Chinamen would get all messed up on opium and then like they would use basically decapitated heads to try and uh, hit <laughs> other dudes that were messed up on opium <laughs> that's actually probably something I would watch I'm not even gonna lie that's, it probably was a lot more entertaining <laughs> Um, so we'll get a little bit into some statistics here that you can locate on uh, a website called CDC Wonder, and there's statistics provided by the CDC. When I first started doing research into drug overdoses, I was really confused because I couldn't find any statistics for 2018. It was everything up to 2017. And I was reading an article put out by Time Magazine about 2018, they have not calculated, finished calculating overdose, deaths due to overdose at this time. But there's an interesting fact that we'll get into a little bit later about the reason why. So to put a, to put things into perspective, this so overdose deaths in 2017 reached an all-time high, and this is across all ages, all drugs, and it was seven seventy thousand two hundred thirty-seven deaths due to overdose in one year. You figure there's only three hundred sixty-five days in a year. Do the math. I'm not good at math. I'll let you guys do that. But We'll take it back a step, and we'll start in 1999 when the CDC actually started tracking overdose death statistics. In 1999, and this again, this is across all drugs, all ages, and I got it broken down by category, and we'll go over that a little bit later. But in 1999, across all drugs, it was, there were 16,849 deaths. They calculated again every year after that, and then halfway to now, in 2007, it rose from, again, in 1999, to, from 16,000 to 36,000. So it doubled in nine years. Then, going back to 2017, again, 70,000 overdose deaths, it more than doubled again. So you figure it, in 10 years, it lit, it doubled <laughs> its, its number, which is absolutely substantial absolutely. to what's going on in in the country and, and you, you you think about 70,000 people like in in a country that has you know over a million people in it it doesn't seem like a lot but in reality it is cuz those those people had families those people left behind things that they that they didn't know they were leaving behind and that's why it's so crucial that we recognize this this epidemic that's currently in society do you think that 
with the use of technology or the advancement of technology that drugs are more prevalent and we see it a lot more often because i remember back in like elementary school like like they talk to you about drugs you know as you're going through school elementary school middle school and i don't remember ever like really seeing it and then once i graduated high school and i got out well even in high school towards the like my last two years of high school i started seeing it and i didn't realize exactly how common it was and most of the time it was marijuana but there was opportunity there for harder drugs and do you think that even now like i said with the advancement of technology that it's even now more prevalent at a younger age well i mean let me ask you this uh, where uh, where did you go to school at uh i elementary started elementary in high school elementary was uh wachuca city arizona and then my seventh grade year after i my seventh grade year i transferred to benson arizona and that's where i graduated finished middle school and graduated high school from so yeah that that's a little surprising to me that um at a border state you know like you said it wasn't very prevalent in your upbringing so i'm assuming it was probably a nicer school uh i mean my graduating class only had 70 people in it it was a, it was an extremely oh, okay. so small school smaller um it was a pretty good community for the most part uh, a lot of ranchers a lot of it was a very big mormon community oh and so that that kind of would kind of explain a little bit of that but at the same time uh even today you you see it more often than not yeah and uh so your question is uh with the use of the widespread use of technology how we have i'm guessing you're more talking about the internet as a whole the yeah and about if kids well and i would definitely say the information about drugs i mean you can literally a a nine-year-old kid today can literally youtube uh, a heroin overdose or they can look up videos of an opioid overdose as when you and me were nine years old we really we couldn't do that we didn't have those videos so well it comes back to the days of dial-up when when it took an hour for a video to render i yeah exactly and and i would guess though i mean i i have a hard time making a connection between technology and drug use um now the stats that you gave me how these deaths nearly doubled in a in in a decade now that surprises me and that makes me ask the question why why have they doubled what has made it so readily available to them and i guess off the top of my head um, technology doesn't come to mind although i know that there is services um, in places like canada that will mail you um, prescription drugs um, mm-hmm. if you can provide the money through a credit card um, online. They will mail you um, prescription drugs, and I don't know how reliable it is. I never actually utilized one of these services myself, but they are out there. But I, I guess um, I really can't comment too much about the technology, the correlation between technology being more widespread and why so many um, youth are using opioids or drugs in general. So. Would you say that technology in some way influences and provides the knowledge that some people might be looking for when, say, thinking of trying a drug? Absolutely. And, um, yeah, because you can definitely look up stories of uh, or experiences people have um, blogged about using drugs. I know I have utilized that myself, being nervous about using uh, magic mushrooms the first time. This would have been about 2008. I was a 15-year-old kid. Uh, I actually seeked out what that what I was to be expecting, and I actually found blogs and blogs and just uh, people writing about their experience on mushrooms. So absolutely, I would say that you are correct in, stay, in saying that. Now, now growing up, you always heard the the phrase "the war on drugs." Yep, all over the news, all in school. So 
we don't hear that phrase anymore. Where where do you think that phrase started, or do you know where that phrase started? And and what was the reason for for calling it the war on drugs? Well, see, I don't know who actually. It, I mean, obviously, it's always some media source that comes out with these fancy names: the war of something, war on women, war on drugs. Um, but from my understanding, a lot of this started back in 1971 when uh, Richard Nixon gave a speech to Congress, and this was a public. I mean, this was a public announcement quote-unquote, but it was to Congress, and he declared drugs, just drugs as a whole, as public enemy number one. And from that moment on, he encouraged Congress to pass tougher legislation on um, prosecuting the drug trade and uh, possession of drugs. So so the ramifications of hauling drugs and, 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 and selling drugs nowadays actually started when Richard Nixon was in office is what you're saying. I don't know if it actually started. We just know that that's when an actual president called for tougher policy for tougher legislation on prosecuting people involved in the drug trade whether they're using or dealing. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Uh now the popular one is a lot of people think that uh it was during the Reagan administration is when the war on drugs became so in your face. I mean, uh the first lady what was her name? Nancy Reagan. Her her little project. Every first lady has a little project they work on. Mm-hmm. Hers was um, stopping kids from using drugs, basically. And so a lot of people think during that administration, that's when uh, the war on drugs started. Okay, so let's let's go into a little bit of statistics here. Um, but first, a caveat on that, or just just to get some general, you know, just some information here. So we know we know that like that drugs were pretty prevalent in the seventies with Woodstock and uh, the sixties as well. I think is when I, it really started. You know, honestly, when when you look back, I don't think there's really a big time where drugs weren't around. Would you say that Woodstock <laughs> made it more prevalent to the public eye, or more definitely no, definitely more mainstream and accepted? Okay. Uh, as out in the open. Okay, so it's it's kind of sucks that the CDC didn't start tracking deaths and statistics till 1999, and I feel like that was that the reason behind that was because that's when it was really really amped up to it was becoming more known that people were dying of drug overdoses, and so we're so we're gonna go back to. Uh, the individual drugs and just some of the worst, some of the worst ones. Um, heroin, for instance. Uh, so between 1999 and 2007, which is this stat actually surprised me, there was only 2,399 deaths due to overdoses of heroin in that nine-year period, which to me was kind of crazy because nowadays that's mostly what you hear of overdosing on is heroin. You think? And well, maybe maybe not today, but go back two years before fentanyl was more mainstream than it is now. Heroin was like the drug of choice for a lot of people. I mean, it seems like um, it was. It's, it's more the the pills that you hear people overdosing on or people dying from nowadays. Um, that heroin was very big on the East Coast. It was an epidemic throughout the '60s and this, during the Vietnam era, basically. Yeah. Um, it was actually being brought back. Um, some people say through uh, military. We'll uh, talk about. <laughs> And, and I agree with you on pills. I would say going back maybe the last five years, uh, prescription pill addiction and overdose was probably the biggest thing we talked about because at that point, doctors would write prescriptions for as many as people needed. I'll, uh, I'll give you a good example. My grandfather, uh, he was a retired vet. Um, he was very unhealthy in his old age. Um, tons of painkillers. And he would get bottles prescribed of him of Oxycontin and Oxycodone. And each bottle would have some upwards around 50 or 60 pills in it. And he was refilling that prescription twice a month. When he passed away and the, and the coroner 
came and and the, the police came and all that, they took all of his pills because of the amount of pills that he had. He was on 65 different medications when he when he passed away. And so I agree with you that definitely probably one of the most talked about and most known addictions is painkiller addiction. And it's probably a lot more noticeable in people as well. Now, going back to your your heroin stats. Now, this this is this is this is huge. From 2007 to 2017, that number rose from 2000 deaths to 13,000 deaths due to overdose. 13,000 heroin overdoses between 2007 in wow. 2017 so when you look at when you look at when you talk about drugs that are most prevalent and thing in things of that nature heroin has definitely played a huge part in the last 10 years to deaths because of overdosing now when we start looking at psychosomatic or psychostimulants and for our listeners psychosomatics are things like adderall uh ritalin meth cocaine is considered a psychostimulant but cocaine is also grouped in its own category as well mm-hmm. um a lot of people don't realize how addicting Adderall can be. I know a guy who was addicted to Adderall, addicted to Adderall for the longest time, and he had to go to rehab to get off of it. Going to psychostimulant deaths in uh, 2000, excuse me, in 1999, there was only 500, just just under 550 deaths in 1999 due to psychostimulant. So meth probably wasn't as big at that time as heroin was. Like you said, heroin was was more prevalent in the the 60s and 70s and was being brought back to the States uh, during the Vietnam era, which is probably when that became more. Would you say that heroin has always been a drug that's been brought into the state and not manu or the states and not manufactured here? Absolutely, because we don't really have the uh, environment to grow the poppy plant. Okay, so continuing with the with the psychostimulant uh, statistics here. Uh, in 2007, that 500 only rose to 1,300 deaths in that nine-year period. So it was only an 800 death increase. So I feel like at that point it was becoming more known and it was becoming more of a drug of choice. And then in 2017, it went to 10,300 deaths in that 10-year period. So it rose essentially just over 8,500 deaths in a 10-year period. Now, the climb in, in, in overdose deaths is absolutely astonishing to see how much one decade, how it's grown into such a big epidemic. And we don't even really see it. We hear about it on the news. We see it on live PD. People always getting caught with drugs. You know, if you have your local police department on Facebook, they'll be like, oh, so-and-so was caught with and charged with possession of a controlled substance or methamphetamine or whatever, you know, they, however they word it. But it's, it's, it's crazy to see when you start looking at statistics, how common it has become in the last 10 years, so to speak. It is. And that's why it's a very important issue to talk about. It is very common. Um, where you and me live here in uh, Nebraska, uh, meth is very common. And uh, I, I would say you probably have an easier time. I, I would bet, I would bet my entire paycheck that you'd have an easier time finding meth in Fremont, Nebraska than you would in New York City. I'll guarantee it. Guarantee uh, it. However, I would also bet my entire paycheck you'd probably have an easier time finding heroin in New York City than you would in Fremont, Nebraska. Oh, yeah. Now, looking at cocaine overdoses, which I feel like this is probably the more prevalent one in 1999. In 1999, there were 3,800 deaths due to cocaine overdoses. That's a large amount for that time looking at past uh, past uh, statistics here. It's the highest. And then it went up to 6,500 6, in 2007. So it, it doubled in nine years. Mm. Uh, but 
and then it doubled again in 2017 and went up to 1400 deaths now i'm just rounding up for for the listeners i'm not i'm not giving exact numbers here so between the year between 2018 2015 the number of deaths per year fell below 5000 within those years for cocaine. For cocaine. Okay. And then it spiked again in 2000, uh, in 2015, uh, back above 5,000 a year, up to, obviously, in 2017, it was 13,000. Wow. Now, and I think this is an important thing for people to understand. Drugs like uh, cocaine and heroin, because of how they're grown, they're grown from a very specific plant, mm-hmm. each of them. Uh, coca... The coca plant for cocaine mm-hmm. and uh, the poppy plant for heroin. And what people need to understand is that th- those plants will not be grown domestically unless somebody has just uh, um, a fucking A-plus in <laughs> growing plants in their own house. You know, they know in the in- exact environment. They have all the necessary tools to have a greenhouse that grows this stuff. This stuff is coming in from other countries, and it works kind of like the stock market. Mm-hmm. If the cartel is able to get lots and lots of cocaine past uh, the border patrol and into the uh, <clears throat> onto the inter- interstate system and into the big cities and into uh, into whoever they're using for distribution, then you're going to see the number of cocaine overdoses rise. And then those time periods that they couldn't, obviously, they weren't having a good flow. Mm-hmm. So. So we'll get into just a, a last little bit of statistics here, and then we'll just we'll talk about you know prevalent prevalent facts and, and things that everybody should know. But I, I mentioned earlier, 2018, I didn't really find statistics on, but there was one interesting fact about that specific year that hasn't been it's been reported by the CDC, but it hasn't been finalized. You're talking about the overdoses. The overdoses. Well, okay, so yeah, the, the information hasn't been gathered yet for the year of 2018. They they have an estimate an, an estimation on how many deaths there were, and this is why it's so interesting and and in 2018 overdose deaths decreased by five percent to sixty eight thousand, which is still a lot of deaths yes it's a lot but it it, it is a decrease however looking at numbers it went from 72,000 in 2017 to 68,000 in 2018 which means over 4,000 lives were saved from overdosing. And in 2018, fentanyl was responsible for about 46% of overdose-related deaths. I believe it. So fentanyl really became prevalent in 2016. Um, over The overdose epidemic in itself has killed more people than any other u- epidemic in the United States history. And now with fentanyl being on the market and being obtainable to everybody, obviously not legally, I'm, I can see these rates increasing even higher going forward because fentanyl, it doesn't take very much to kill somebody. No, it doesn't. And if you've ever talked to a police officer, they'll tell you. It's... Uh, Josh, if you want to look up that stat about what, what it would take to kill a human being. Um, they said it was like not even a tenth of a penny, the amount of fentanyl that can actually kill an adult. So if you're already intoxicated or high or whatever the case is, what's to stop you from taking too much? There's, <laughs> there's really nothing that can stop you from taking too much except yourself. But if you're obviously using fentanyl, um, you probably don't possess the willpower to stop. Now, do you think that Narcan has played a part in this decrease in deaths in 2018. Absolutely. Um, Narcan, um, the correct name 
Naloxone? Naloxone? Am I saying that correctly? Yes. Now, um, that's actually been around uh, since 1961, and it got approved in 1971 to be used for um, opioid overdoses. But I would say, yeah, the fact that our law enforcement is now issued it to carry it with them on hand, along um, with EMTs for who knows how long they've been carrying it for. But the fact that our first responders have it on hand, absolutely that has saved lives. Because when it comes to overdosing, it's a matter of minutes before we lose that individual. Well, and it's important to know that um, an opioid overdose, the death that usually comes from that is usually um, some type of asphyxiation or some type of your your central nervous system shuts down and you basically suffocate. And this Narcan can actually reverse that. And, and it is. It is quite... So basically, Amazing. it basically jump read like it neutralizes and jump starts your nervous system back up. Basically, from what um, I've read about it, it actually it's it blocks the receptors from the opioids to your brain, so it gives your central nervous system a chance to actually jump start it up again. Because if it shuts down too much, whether it's through alcohol or through heroin or through pills, um, you just your body forgets to start breathing. It forgets uh, your internal organs forget to. To basically work and function, they, and they yeah. basically shut down. And what this does is it blocks the drug from the brain, and then the body gets to heal itself essentially. Oh, okay. So to caveat on 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 our 2018 statistic here, which was awesome to read, kind of kind of gave me some kind of hope, a little bit of hope inside that we might actually be going on to that. An article covering the same topic from CNN discussed the fact that uh, stricter legislation for. Uh, medical professionals to prescribe the amount of pills that they that they're allowed to give an individual also contributed to this statistic being lowered and even though the deaths uh, decreased in 2018 the death rates for individual drugs such as psychostimulants actually rose in 2018 with meth with meth and cocaine and that makes sense so at the same so at the same time we're doing as as a country. We're kind of there to figuring out what how to how to fix the issue, but we're not a hundred percent there yet. And the increased in uh, assistance for addiction has also contributed to this as well. Do you feel Do you feel like as as a country we need to funnel more money towards helping these addicts recover than funneling money to other places. Like yeah, absolutely. And just for all of you who um, are not aware, the United States actually spends about five hundred million dollars annually to assist uh, the Colombian government in fighting uh, guerrilla groups such as FARC and other um, cartel-like groups um, who. <clears throat> basically make their money through growing and distributing drugs and uh so absolutely i mean the war on drugs as a whole has been a very expensive adventure <laughs> to to say the least and it's affected a lot of lives so um I, I think people nowadays are starting to get the fact that it doesn't matter how much legislation we pass it doesn't matter how much money we keep aiding these other countries and in, in their drug trade and their drug war uh you're not going to fix the problems here um and they're in they're taking a step in the right direction by trying to treat drug addicts they're they're trying to um i'm not saying this is the answer but i'm saying that instead of getting them and prosecuting them and throwing them in prison um there are a lot of groups out there that have made it their mission to 
uh, get to these people before law enforcement does, you know, to help them before. There's a lot of nonprofit that actually use uh, Narcan to go and um, help junkies on the street. This is more in bigger cities. This isn't something you're necessarily going to find here in Nebraska, but um, they'll actually go and... Um, if they get a call that somebody's having overdose, they will go to um, give them some Narcan, and they're legally able to do so. So, according to the National Institute on Drug Abuse, between 40 and 60 percent of treated people will relapse. Yep. Do you think, as a country, uh, we can decrease these statistics with better education and, again, funneling money towards these programs? I do not think education will help anything. I think education actually has backfired because people have been educated till they're they've been educated till they don't want to be educated anymore about drugs and people are still using drugs drug use has obviously got a much deeper root in why people use drugs um and until you can cure all depression and until you can cure all of people's broken problems or just people that don't care at all and are just looking to live a hedonistic lifestyle, you're never going to get rid of drugs and drug use. And so, for all of our listeners, uh, these stats that we're talking about can be found on the National Institute for Drug Abuse, uh, in case you're curious and you want to look them up. But drug drug abuse in itself affects every single person and josh you worked in corrections Mm -hmm. how many people were in there due to drug-related charges or can you give me an estimate on how many people you you talked how many inmates you would talk to that were there on drug charges oh man um just basically to pull to, to ballpark it to pull a percentage out of my ass of how many inmates were in prison due to drug-related charges. I, I would say a good 40 to 45 percent of them. Almost half of them were in there for drug charges. Now, were were that were those drug charges including marijuana, or did that also, or were they all strictly hard drugs? A lot of it was meth. Um, I would say, out of all the guys that were in there for drugs, there was maybe uh, five to ten of them individuals that I came across who were in there for actual marijuana. But these these guys were dealing large amounts of marijuana. Mm-hmm. These weren't guys that got caught with an ounce or two. I mean, these these were guys who were pretty known dealers in their area of uh, distributing uh, pounds and pounds of marijuana, bringing it in, smuggling it, that type of stuff. So you'll, you'll see constantly on the internet, uh, Nebraska State Patrol, I-80 seems to be a huge corridor for drug movement throughout the U.S. They've busted so many traffic trafficking people on I-80. Why would a state in the Midwest be a key spot for drug trafficking and distribution well anywhere there's a a major interstate that goes cross-country you're going to find some type of cartel action or some type of uh drug distribution action where i'm from i was born in uh, albuquerque new mexico you got two um interstates that go cross-country you got i-25 and you got i-40 i-25 heads north and south and i-40 will get you it'll get you pretty much from east coast to west coast so it's a hot spot for uh drug cartel and just people it doesn't even have to be a drug cartel just whoever is uh, looking to distribute nationwide the interstate uh, system is key and it'll take you to places that you would never expect whether it be grand island nebraska i mean everybody expects the big cities everybody expects the big cities to be uh, littered with this type of drug crime but yes a uh, little town little town here in uh, nebraska can be in- infested with uh, the fallout from the drug trade so for anybody who hasn't traveled through the southern states uh as josh pointed out i-25 heads north i-40 heads 
east to west. Uh, as you go through Arizona, Arizona uh, has Interstate 10, which actually meets in Las Cruces, New Mexico, which is about an hour east of El Paso. And I-25 goes all the way from Las Cruces into Denver. For any for anybody who's never traveled through Denver, Denver is kind of like a central hub for interstates. If you if these trafficking people get get to denver with their load they can go anywhere in the united states from that central location Mm -hmm. it's kind of ridiculous to think that drug trade and drug trafficking kind of works like the flow of information uh on the internet a lot of what you a lot of a lot of the stuff you send out goes to a central hub uh for instance uh a lot of a lot of your social media accounts can be linked now uh i know if i post a story on my instagram it goes straight to my facebook it kind of works the same way so yes drugs can make it into the smallest of towns uh like i said uh the the school i graduated or the town i graduated high school in uh my graduating class was 70 people and probably of that 70 there was probably 10 to 15 people that had a drug problem and it was a small town and the biggest drug that was in that town was meth and we're talking a town with a population of 2,000 people i also want to point out that um meth is a very interesting drug for the fact that unlike heroin and unlike cocaine you don't need to grow meth meth can literally be made in any little trailer park or I mean, it could be made in any any bathtub, any room that you have uh, access to lay your equipment out and make it. Which there's even really low grades meth that you don't even need to really cook it. You just uh, basically shake and bake is what they call it. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, where you make it in a bottle, right? And so um, meth to me is it's no surprise it's an epidemic because of just how easily you can make it. So I think that's important too. The difference between meth and heroin and uh, cocaine is just meth is. It, it's being produced as we speak. It's being produced in large quantities. You also got what they call super meth coming in from Mexico. They're making the this meth like almost in a professional setting, like a, a big, large factory, as if a brewery, as if they were a brewery. They're just basically brewing meth and they're shipping it up to the United States and all through Mexico. And uh, so, yeah, I think people um, so, who are not aware, meth is just a, it's a very easy drug to produce. So. Uh, I've never personally watched it, but Breaking Bad, <laughs> from what I've heard is, and, and from what I've seen, like I said, I've never watched the show, I've seen clips and this and that of that. It's a very, a very real thing. Uh, Breaking Bad, that, that is one example of what can be a meth production setup. I, there's, pe- there's people that make it under their kitchen sinks. Mm-hmm. It's that easy to make. And the recipe can be found on the internet believe it or not it goes back to that access that that accessibility of information um and it's it's phenomenal to think that and, and kind of ridiculous to think that that hasn't been somehow removed or blocked from being seen because a fourth grader can literally look that up not that a fourth grader is going to produce meth because they would probably end up blowing themselves up but it's that easy and I, I think that goes for for anything in reality but my 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 biggest wonder and i'm not i, I don't do drugs i've never done drugs uh maybe maybe marijuana (laughs) maybe um but how do people where do where does it start because like okay i'll I'll be honest with you if i if i went out and wanted to go find some meth i would have no idea where to look really i 100 percent would have no idea where to go some of the guys we work with i don't think it'd be that difficult well say if i if i moved here if i just moved here and knew nobody in this town right i had a problem you would probably honestly if if i was seeking out meth and I was new to Fremont, and I didn't know a soul, I would first start out with trying to socialize at just one of the local bars and uh, just talking to people. I mean, you can... 
you can look at some people and just know this person uses. And these are the people I would try to uh, hang out with if I was seeking drugs. And, you know, if they don't know of anybody that has drugs, oh well. So... Honestly, with some people, most of the time it comes through a, a middle a middle connection. Mm-hmm. However, I don't think in a town this size it would be that difficult to just fill it out and uh, find somebody who could get you some meth. Do you think meth is uh, in high schools right now in the U.S.? Do you feel like... Because I know when I was in high school, there was one or two people that we knew were addicted. And do you think that it's a more common drug used now or do you think marijuana is kind of taking that spot? I, I find it hard to believe that it's in high schools in, in a large amount. Probably in, in uh, it probably has some presence, but I think for most high schoolers, it's about marijuana and pills. I think pills probably have a bigger presence in uh, high schools than meth. And would you say that that's probably because pills are easier, easier accessed, easier, easier, easier accessibility? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, if I could use my words today, that's great. <laughs> it is what it is. Absolutely, because I used to get pills um, from just basically taking them from my aunt. Sorry, auntie, if you're listening to this. But, I, yeah, I used to steal pills from her because um, she was always on some type of good painkiller. Mm-hmm. So I would guess that a lot of kids probably do the same. They probably take pills from their parents. You know, so it's not that difficult. So yeah, easily. But basically, convenience is key, and pills were convenient for a long time. So definitely. So I don't think meth is huge in schools. And I kind of I agree with that. Like I said, there was one or two people we knew that were involved with it when I was in high school, and they didn't. They were they didn't graduate. They dropped out. And uh, I know I we had a couple drug raids at school. The cops came in with the dogs. Everybody had to throw their bags. And I remember this this one this one event specifically because she this one female she was known for being the meth addict in the school. And during that time, she actually snuck off of campus and got caught off campus during that raid. And so I it is the presence is there, but it's not great. You know, and, and that's another interesting thing because uh, I had heard from an unreliable source, but it actually makes a lot of sense that uh, the the fastest growing market for meth is uh, women that live in small towns. Um, just women in general, they say, has been on the rise for using meth. And why do you think that is? Honestly, I, I think it's probably just poor guidance and boredom. Like, so, so depression and boredom just mixed together. And a lot of it probably is the, the men that they're hanging around are users as well. Because even though I say that, don't forget that most uh, meth users are male. But, yeah, females are definitely on the rise for using drugs. Now, would you say that maybe some of that gets involved because there's there's such a trending and, and pressured topic for females to stay skinny you know um you know i think uh some people do absolutely use it or seek it out as a way to drop some pounds i think a lot of people get into it because they think well hey i'm gonna go actually i knew uh, a person personally who was trying to cut pounds and they wanted uh they, they wanted me to get adderall at the time i was like 19 working at target they wanted me to get them adderall and i was like mm-hmm. you know honestly I, I i can't get you any adderall at this time i don't know anybody that has any and they're like well what about meth and you know at that point i cut the conversation but this person was willing to seek out meth to cut pounds 
And so I do think that some people, and probably a lot of women, get into it uh, to cut weight, and then they end up just uh, liking it. Well, I don't know if it's necessarily a liking as more of... They say that meth is the one drug, once you once you do it the first time, you're hooked. Well, um, I, and actually I'll reveal this, I actually have experience using meth, and uh, I never got addicted to it, and, and I'll tell you why. Probably because when I was a teenager, I was prescribed Adderall, because supposedly I got in a little trouble... And supposedly it was because I had a attention deficit disorder, which I disagree with. But when I used meth for the first time, Adderall, it was basically just the same effect that Adderall gave me, but on a more intensified version. And I didn't want to go down the rabbit hole, so I pretty much kicked that. Mm-hmm. And the person who provided it to me, I kicked them out of my life. Now, I, I, I'll i admit I've never I've never done anything other than weed, but I have, I've, had, I've had the opportunity to do pills on more than one occasion. When I was younger, not, not as of recently, not in the last seven years, but when I lived with my old roommate, uh, Percocet was really big. He was really big into taking Percocet and muscle relaxers. And he was an ex-meth addict who, who had gotten his life together, but still enjoyed the occasional party drug. Yeah. Uh, we smoked some weed together, but I, I, and that's when it first became real, you know, um, prevalent to me about the, uh, overuse of prescription drugs. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's almost sad to think that this is, that, that these drugs are so easily accessible, not by just adults, but by kids. Yeah. And would you say, and, and this is on a, this, this is just a question I'm just kind of tossing out here. Would you say that TV shows and what we, what, what our kids are watching today might influence their choice to try drugs? Sure. I, I definitely wouldn't say that they are to blame. But yeah, a show like Breaking Bad, one of the main characters was a meth addict, uh, Jesse Pinkman. And so it, it sort of um, glorifies it in a way or encourages the use of uh, using using drugs. And honestly, that was probably one of my big uh, motivators to try the drug in the first place was the fact of uh, the character of Jesse Pinkman. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm, I'm just an easily influenced guy. <laughs> well... Well, so so we'll but, move to a different a different but similar topic. So let's go to Grand Theft Auto Five. Right. And I, I love Grand Theft Auto Five. <laughs> I play game. I play Grand Theft Auto Five all the time. Beat up some old people. Um, but with the Criminal Enterprise uh, DLC that they came out with, you can literally create a meth lab and a coke lab and you can sell the drugs to make money now i understand that this is a game Mm -hmm. but what's not to say that this could influence somebody to maybe want to go out and do this themselves in real life absolutely or outside of the game well and and absolutely and like i said you're gonna have a hard time trying to blame video games and blame um tv shows however i think it would be foolish to say that they have zero influence on a young mind i would agree with that i uh it's kind of like how people like to blame um violent video games for mass shootings yeah and i'm not trying to disrespect the event that occurred the last couple days the two events that occurred the last couple days and i want to send my prayers out to those families and and uh, El Paso and, and those families in Ohio. But everything starts with a choice. And I understand that a lot of people, I, I know past addicts and that, that have recovered and stayed recovered and, and have their life together now. But often I hear them say they, they didn't have a choice. It's not that easy. And for some people it may not be. But at the end of the day, when you sit down and you look at your past, it all started with that very first choice you, you made. Yeah, I agree. 
Uh, you always have a choice. No matter what kind of background you come from, you always have a choice. Uh, an example of that that uh, really opened my eyes to that was when I was in corrections. Uh, I had some sit-down conversation with inmates who were gang members, and a lot of them said that they didn't have a choice, you know, to uh, be a part of their gang or to join up with their uh, whatever block they were representing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I-, I was just thinking this entire time that they're telling me that they never had a choice, that how many people come from that side of town or how many people come from that area who are not gang members, who are actually, you know, trying to work... And uh, trying to survive, and maybe get out of that 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 situation. Maybe there. maybe eventually, but maybe a lot of them realize that they're probably not getting away from there. But they don't join a gang, or they don't deal drugs. I mean, so the point is, you always have a choice, and and that's at the and that's what it really comes down to. And and I've talked, and like I said, you can talk to anybody. Uh, I had a friend who made the comment to me that he does meth recreationally, and and I'll be the first person to tell you if you've ever talked to an ex meth addict. You don't do that stuff recreationally. Yep. If you if you if you do it on 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 a regular basis, you are addicted to it. You can try it, but yeah, you do not do it regularly on a recreational level. Exactly, and and that's why and in going to marijuana for for a minute here, um, a lot of states are are, are legalizing it re- uh, recreationally now. Do you feel like it's a gateway drug to try something harder? No, I don't. I don't feel that marijuana is what pushes people to try other drugs. Not most people. There might be a small my there might be a small minority of people out there that feel that oh they need to chase a bigger high, but. If anybody's ever dabbled around in drugs, you know that marijuana is a very distinct high. You don't get a high from marijuana that you would find in any other drug. Um, so anybody that has any knowledge about drugs knows that marijuana is not a gateway drug. Now, recently I've heard that some people are starting to spray chemicals into their weed before they smoke it mm-hmm. because it gets them a little more messed up or a lot more messed up. Um, would you say that in that case they might be looking for a better high? Yes. If, if somebody's going as far to um, spray a chemical on their weed, then <laughs> that is obviously drug-seeking behavior. Or they're, chasing, they're chasing the ultimate high. So that person would be definitely the poster child for somebody who would try it. Um, I, I bet you if I put meth in front of a person like that, they'd probably do it if they'd never done it before. So going back to last week's episode about immigration, where does immigration play a key into the drug well, epidemic? Immigration itself does not. However, border security plays everything. In, uh, in it, I shouldn't say everything. It plays a major role in the drug trade. Because if you don't have secure borders, um, you don't have a very, you don't have good control on what substances are coming into your country. So, like like you stated earlier, meth and coke are not manufactured in the United States. Where does 90% of your cocaine come from? And everybody should know this. It's pretty common sense and pretty well known. Most of your cocaine is going to come from down south somewhere. So, South America. Yeah, not not south like Alabama and Georgia, for those of you who are confused. <laughs> We're talking a little further south than that. More, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Colombia is known to be the cocaine capital of the world. Uh, Mr. Pablo Escobar made made that famous. He ran the famous Medellin cartel, which uh, was uh, rumored to be one of the most highly profitable businesses to ever um, have a presence on Earth. If you haven't uh, if you haven't done any research into Pablo Escobar, 
it's actually quite interesting. But uh, meth, meth is another one that that doesn't people again they can do it in the United States, but it's not something that's gonna build an empire like Pablo Escobar did with cocaine. It just doesn't work like that. No, and and the reason probably why it's never gonna work that way is because meth kind of came in at a time where you just had so many different um, producers and distributors, whereas uh, Pablo Escobar's day, he was one of the few places that actually grew large amounts of coca leaf and was able to. He had the actual syndicate to be and the resources to actually distribute it the way that he wanted to that gained him <laughs> ungodly amounts of money. So it's kind of interesting when you were talking about, um, going back to heroin here, um, how the poppy, uh, the poppy plant is, a hu- is huge in the manufacturing manufacturing of uh heroin and it's kind of interesting because a lot of people don't don't know this but uh the poppy plant is actually very commonly grown in the middle east yep and actually is one of the major uh financial resources for terrorist organizations exactly uh i i have a i have a couple buddies that are threat or wow threats yeah no they're they're vets and (laughs) it's funny because they'll they'll tell me about their deployments over in afghanistan and iraq and anytime that they would roll up on a poppy field during a convoy they took extra precaution because normally where there was a poppy field there was taliban or isis somewhere in that vicinity because they they're gonna they're gonna watch their product I mean that's how they make their money. I mean, absolutely. And so when when I say that that drugs affect everybody, when you're buying heroin, yeah, it may not come strictly from that part, but for all you know, you could be funding a terrorist organization that has plans to basically repeat 9/11. Well, anytime you buy drugs, even if it's just uh, marijuana from the dispensary in Colorado. I mean, you're keeping alive a market for these criminal organizations. And that's not your intention, obviously. That was never my intention when I bought a bag of weed from my dealer. Um, but, yeah, the fact... Uh, until <laughs> until drugs... Until the human appetite can rid itself of drugs, you're going to have a lot of problems that come with it. Th- that's... That's what it comes down to. At the end of the day, it's not necessarily just the drugs, even though there is overdoses with some of those harder ones. It's all the violence that follows it, because wherever there's large amounts of drugs, there's violence. Now, let's move into a a, a little bit of a topic I know everybody's probably hoping we cover, the overall legalization, federal legalization of marijuana. How do you feel that would impact the United States as a country? Honestly, I'm uh, I'm definitely for the legalization of marijuana as because I would think that it would affect us in a way of we wouldn't spend as much money prosecuting people um, and we would uh, that's that's one of the best ways how you can fight the black market is well what are cartels going to do now why would people risk themselves illegally buying marijuana when you can just go to the dispensary and buy it now with that being said let's let's talk about revenue Ooh, that's a whole nother topic and and how and how that could actually be a good thing for the United States. Now, obviously, like I said, some states have, have uh, legalized it recreationally, but I know even if you're in a state that's legalized it recreationally as a federal employee or an employee of the state, you still cannot part- partake in the use of a legal drug such as marijuana. Now, do you feel do you think that if it was to be legalized federally that that stipulation might change? I do, and I, I feel um, employers still have the right to um, make that rule that you still need to pass a drug test, whether this is a, a legal, you know, it's, I'm trying to get people to more think of, like, semi-drivers, 
You know, you don't necessarily want every single semi-driver out there all zonked out on weed. Sure, some of them would be just fine, but I don't know about Jose. He, he might get he might get a little dizzy when he smokes weed. The point is, is that I do think the stipulation would probably go away for maybe a lot of those government jobs. However, I still think private employers would hold the right to uh, be able to drug test their employees and hold that standard. Now, do you think that they'll come that they'll come up with a way? Because as of right now, there's no way to test the THC levels in your blood or you know do you think that maybe one of the reasons why they put off legal uh, federally legalizing it is because they have not created the technology or have found a way to measure that yet I'm, I was not aware of that. I always thought that they could. Um, I, I, I know they really, they really... So what you're saying is basically they can't draw blood and detect that I've been using marijuana? Well, think of like a, like a PPT test or, or a breathalyzer. It measures yeah. the, the current levels of alcohol in your body, right? Yeah. Well, like what, what do they do with the urine analysis? Does that not measure it? Because... It, it, it can't... It won't measure it. It just, it just determines it just, if it's It just there. detects if there's trace amounts in your system. Oh, okay. So, uh, you know, honestly, I, I don't know if that has anything to do with it because it, it might, but... I, I just feel like that... I feel... I feel that if if that was if that was a key factor and in, in, in people were able to do that, so on an episode of Live PD, and I refer to Live PD a lot because it's a I, great show. It's great, and and you can gain a lot of information from this show because you're dealing with cops that are going through this every day. Um, a girl got pulled over in Texas, and she had hemp cigarettes, mm-hmm. and it smelled like weed, it looked like weed, but it did not possess THC. And we're running into a lot of situations now where because CBD oil has become a big thing and how CBD oil can have trace amounts of THC in it and even trace amounts can affect you in ways that normal weed can or it's just straight marijuana can and a lot of the situations in this in this particular situation uh the the police officer had no way to test whether or not there was THC in these cigarettes it said TH zero THC on the package but what if she had swapped those out with something that actually had THC in it and now they have no way to test that because of the lack of uh technology in that area so they struggle with upholding certain laws because Yes, you can still have CBD oil with a certain amount, of, and this is the state of Texas, but they're, they're allowed like CBD oil with a with just with with, with a certain amount, certain percentage of TH, uh, THC in it, and we don't have they don't possess the technology to test that. So if they if they search somebody and find CBD oil with a certain amount of THC, how are they going to be able to prove that that's actually what's in that bottle and that's not and, and it hasn't been replaced with something stronger? So it, it would be kind of like the government just basically saying, uh, "Fuck it, we can't uh, test this any." Anyway, so we might as well just uh, make it legal. Exactly, and but I do agree with you on 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 on, on your on your look of uh, everybody shouldn't shouldn't be because drugs drugs affect everybody differently. And like you said, Jose may may not handle weed as well as Alex. And, no offense to you, Jose. And uh, so it comes down it comes down to the individual person, excuse me, and their tolerance. So. I guess at the end of the day, weed in itself probably should be legalized. I don't see why it, why it shouldn't. Um, not because I'm excited about smoking a bunch of weed, but <laughs> just for the fact of, I mean, obviously, prohibition didn't work with alcohol. I honestly, the, the war on drugs has been a, an utter failure for society as a whole. I don't know who's profiting off it, who's actually winning. Maybe somebody is, but it's definitely not us as a society. So I think a first, a good step in that direction would be legalized weed um take it away from the black market let's get it back to to us like you know let's give it back to the people so to say 
Do you think that if they legalized it federally that more people would be less inclined to do hard drugs? I don't necessarily think it's going to have much effect on on people who are seeking out harder drugs. However, I don't think it's necessarily going to make more people smoke marijuana. So if somebody doesn't want to smoke marijuana, they're not going to do it whether it's legal or illegal. And as far as hard drugs go... Maybe I think some studies should be um, conducted on if if, legaliz- if legalizing heroin would have any effect on the black market, which I, a common sense tells me yes, but I, I'm not an expert, so I'm just going, I'm basically talking out of my ass on that. Now, okay, so since we're on that, on that subject, <laughs> do you think that legalizing a drug like heroin would change the amount of overdoses and the, yeah, just the amount of overdoses? Do you think it would change that at all? If they could control how much you... How much you were able to buy like they do like marijuana in Colorado and the other states in Colorado is being the best known one for that hmm. you know mile high city uh-huh. right. um <laughs> no uh do you think that that would definitely change the uh yeah I, I, I know what you're asking and I'm a little careful on this because I don't like the idea of the government controlling controlling the flow of any type of product whether it's drugs or guns for the betterment of society because I don't honestly believe that if you control something that it's going to make all the problems go away um having it legal in my honest opinion i don't think it would have much effect on the overdoses i and and making it legal for me is more of just a it's more of a financial aspect than it is a moral or a or a you know save lives type aspect because i still think heroin users are going to go buy it and they're going to use it as much as they were using whether if it was legal or illegal the heck they might even use more now that it's easily available they don't have to go through their sketchy dealer um but it would take the power away from the cartels so you're basically ending the cartel violence is what the goal would be. And a decreased presence in yes. the cartels being They're going to have here. to find some other way how to make money. Makes sense. It's actually a really good way to look at it. Um, I guess that just about covers everything that we, that we wanted to talk about. I can't really think of anything else prevalent or even relevant to what to what we're talking about at this point aside from the fact that drugs are out there they're available they're more available than we think they are absolutely uh just one last thing to add um the other thing that a lot of people are talked about if you've never worked corrections on the state level um the amount of drugs that flow through the prisons is actually very shocking we ran into a lot of drugs when i was working there most of it being k2 but they actually about two months before i quit they actually had us uh sit down to a a PowerPoint of fentanyl, that they Mm -hmm. wanted us to understand what fentanyl is because they had been seeing some at the Nebraska State Penitentiary. Uh, K2? Uh, Fentanyl is what they were starting to see, but K2 was probably the biggest one that um, we ran into. Can you elaborate what K2 is? K2, by definition, is synthetic marijuana. Also like spice. Yes, and that's exactly what it is. K2 is just one name for it. There's spice, okay. um, and basically what it is is, if you think of pulpery. It's like pulpery, but the K2, the actual drug that gets you high, is actually a spray. It's actually a spray that's sprayed onto that pulpery, and that's what gets you high. Oh, see, I didn't know that. I had some friends that got pretty uh, pretty messed up in, in, in smoking spice, and, and it kind of messed their lives a little bit, and uh, I obviously have never had any experience with it, and that's why I was I was asking out, out clarification for the listeners um, that might not not know that, that information about drugs, but they uh, there's been a lot of synthetic yes. drugs that have been popping up as well. 
fentanyl actually being one of them. Uh, fentanyl is actually a synthetic drug, and it's kind of crazy to think that in the days of when meth and heroin were such a big thing, you got drugs like fentanyl coming out, and people, again, spraying their weed with with raid which <laughs> it doesn't smell good i can't imagine it would taste good it's just it's just straight up poison and i mean what's going to be next where is this going to go because you know as soon as they is as, as soon as they start eliminating one thing or, or adjusting one thing something else is going to happen well um let me ask you this have you, you do you ever hear of the synthetic drug called crocodile yes i have actually and see, this is something that we really haven't had to worry about too much um, here in the United States, but it has been a problem in Europe, particularly Russia. And if, for those of you who are not aware, Crocodile is a synthetic version of heroin. Um, it's almost like their version of fentanyl. However, by the sounds of it, it is much worse. Uh, they pretty much guarantee that somebody who's addicted to Crocodile will be dead within a year of using. It is so addictive, and they call it Crocodile actually because it puts these sores on your skin, whether it be your leg or your arm or your chest, you know, it can be anywhere. Um, and it basically just starts eating your skin away to where it kind of looks like a crocodile skin, like a crocodile scales mm -hmm. or um, whatever I read, you want to call them. I read an article about five years back about crocodile when it was first becoming relevant and, and known in the world. And they were talking about uh, people to mimic the uh, the uh, effects of that were actually injecting uh, gasoline into their bloodstream to feel to get that same sense of uh, of high, and they would literally die from it. Their first use, they would die from it. And it and if you guys have never seen pic uh, any any pictures of crocodile, look it up on Google. There's multiple pictures about it. It literally eats your skin. Yeah. I, I couldn't imagine the amount of pain you go through. And it's one of those drugs that, as described as Josh described, is once you take it, you don't stop. No. It is one of, it's been said to be one of the most addictive synthetic drugs that is on the market. And like you said, it's kind of a night, it's kind of a good thing because we haven't really dealt with it in the United States, but it is out there and it's very known in what it can do and what it can, what it can cause. And I can't imagine going through that. I wouldn't want anybody else to go through that. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you don't know about it, I would definitely rec recommend that you guys educate yourselves on that because as with all drugs, eventually it's going to be here. And, uh, the important thing to understand too about drugs like meth and uh, opioids and and even alcohol is that those those type of drugs is um, one of those things that if you use it too much too often your body becomes very dependent on it you know there's wicked drugs like meth and coke however your body never physically becomes dependent on coke and meth it's all psychological now there are physical side effects however with drugs like and i'm guessing crocodile would be the same way um with drugs like heroin and crocodile if you keep using heroin um your body becomes dependent on it meaning that if you don't use it and you go through withdrawal you can die from that withdrawal that's what makes that drug so dangerous it does so much damage to you USA Today put this article out uh i, I literally just googled crocodile drug in the united states um and read forbidden flesh rotting crocodile drug emerges in USA. The deadly heroin like drug that rots flesh has been linked to two cases in Arizona in the last week. So it is here. It's just not as widely no. used. And this now this article was also published September twenty sixth of two thousand thirteen. Yep. So it's been obviously it's been known about for close to six years now, six, seven years. So it's it, we know about it, but if you don't know about it, educate yourselves on it because it is one of the worst drugs that that's out, and it is again synthetic, so it's can be created. Yep, 
Very good. Well, Josh, I think that that'll just about do it for this episode. Absolutely. Uh, I hope the, our listeners enjoy it. And again, if you guys have any comments or questions or have a topic you guys want us to cover, uh, you can send your emails to midwestmymelt at gmail.com. And uh, we'll try our best to uh, get you to do the research and get you the answers you guys are looking for. If you have any questions about us or uh, just want to know some information, anything about where we're from or anything about Nebraska for that matter. Uh, not that there's much here, but you guys are more than welcome to send those emails to us. We appreciate you guys listening, and until next time, we'll see you guys later. How do I control money? Envelopes. The first of the month, I divide up my cash. One for groceries, one for gas, one for fun. It helps plan out my spending. And that's how we came up with digital envelopes for your checking account. Our customers give us the best ideas. Huntington, welcome. At Metro, the best deal in wireless is on. Switch to Metro and get one full Amazon Prime membership included every month. Plus, get two free phones from top brands like Samsung and LG with huge HD screens. All with two lines for just 90 bucks. That's the best deal in wireless, only at Metro. Plus sales tax and activation fee. Requires port and of eligible number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Limit four per account or household. Offer subject to change. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Amazon Prime has a $12.99 per month value. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions.